Welcome, everybody. Uh, good to see all of you. We're going to conclude Chapter 26. There's one very brief paragraph of the chapter of 26 in Genesis that I want to cover before we look at what is a very well-known part of the Old Testament and the story of, of Jacob. And Jim and Fred, you've heard all this. But uh, maybe, I guess, is good for the soul. As you remember, the, the, previous, um, the, the previous couple of chapters, uh, you have seen Isaac is starting to pass from the scene, and Jacob and Esau are born, but the promise was made that Jacob would be the covenant son, not Esau. And uh, Jacob, the name Yaakov in Hebrew, Jacob, means heel catcher or trickster. And that fits with what he does in stealing, and in a way, that's the right way to put it, but he would have gotten it anyway, but stealing the birthright from, from Esau. God had promised him, that is Jacob, that he would be the covenant son. But instead of waiting to see how God would do this, Jacob takes it into his own hands. And uh, as you know, and you'll see even more intensely in this chapter, uh, with the cooperation of his mother, Rebecca. This was a very dysfunctional family. We read that earlier. Jacob loved, uh, Rebecca loved Jacob. Isaac loved Esau. And I can't imagine what the dynamics of the family would have been like in that sense. So all that is, is important for understanding the importance of verse 34. When Esau was 40 years old, so now time has passed here. It's quite a bit of time. Mm -hmm. He took Judith, the daughter of Berai, the Hittite, to be his wife, and Bashemath, the daughter of Elon, the Hittite. So what does Esau do? He marries a Canaanite. Now, you do have to remember something in terms of the context. There is no nation of Israel yet. There are no Jewish girls around. So what you will see a little bit later on in the narrative, Jacob will go way, way, way up north in the north of the Mesopotamia Valley to, to find his wife, who will be Rachel and all that. And that the reason is that's part of the family of Abraham. But Esau does something that would have been troubling to his parents. So the last part of this paragraph, verse 35, and they made life bitter for Isaac and Rebekah. Uh, that's, I read from the ESV translation, that's a good translation. Some translations have a spirit of bitterness for Isaac and Rebekah. And obviously, this would, this would be hurtful for them because their, their son has married a Canaanite. Now, remember what a Canaanite, what that means. She's pagan. She's a polytheist. She has absolutely no understanding whatsoever of the true God, nor of the covenant. She's, another way of putting it, she's outside the covenant. So all of that is troubling to, to his parents, Isaac and Rebecca. But that's an important, it's just another important piece of information. Esau, despite, don't make Esau a victim here. Esau is a profane man. Esau is a man who treats lightly the things of God. You could even make it stronger. He basically disregards the things of God. 
Whatever is important to God is not important to him. And you simply see that in how he treated the birthright when he was hungry and got a bowl of stew and sold the birthright. And now here, again, he's treating something frivolous. And so to take Canaanites as your wife is, again, you're outside the covenant. And he just demonstrating, again, his real character. And that's troubling to his parents. I'll see more about him in just a little bit. Now the focus is back, and as we transition to chapter 27, the focus is back on Jacob. Now, as we start this chapter, you have four characters in this chapter. You have Isaac, you have Rebecca, you have Jacob, and you have Esau. Nobody comes out good in this chapter. Everyone in this chapter is, is seriously flawed in terms of their character. So let's summarize it. First of all, you have Isaac. And what you see at the beginning of this chapter is Isaac is willing, indeed wants to, intends to bless Esau as his firstborn. Why should he not have desired to do that? God told him. Because God told him Jacob is going to be the covenant son. So Isaac, I'm getting excited here. I got to yelling. So Isaac is also defying God here. He knew what God's plan was. And so he seeks to bless Esau. He had no right to do that. Secondly is Rebecca. Rebecca connives with her son Jacob. And basically, as you're going to see in just a minute, her duplicity results in lying to her husband, misrepresenting the situation to her husband, and she will pay a dear, dear cost for this. She will never see Jacob again. He's going to run north, and we'll talk about that in a little bit. Esau, of course, it's in a sense someone like to his father, Isaac. Esau knew what God's intent was. He knew what God had said. And yet he also seeks that blessing of the firstborn from his father. And then, of course, there's Jacob. And Jacob lives up to his name, Yaakov, the trickster, the, the heel catcher, the deceiver. But in the context of this, and this is one of the things I want you to look for as we go through it. In the context of this, Jacob lies twice to his father. And one of those lies is actually blaspheming God. So this story in chapter 27 is a, it's an extremely important chapter because it explains why Jacob goes way north, 500 miles north, way up to his father, his grandfather's home, Quran. But it also reveals the character of all these players. Nobody comes off good in this, this, this section. Now listen. This also explains a fifth character in the story. That fifth character is God. Despite all of this conniving and duplicity and intentionally disobeying the covenantal arrangement which God had laid out, Jacob's going to be the son of the covenant, not Esau. You still see God's grace. Don't you? If I were God, and I know you're all really thankful I'm not, but if I were God, I'd have said, Jacob, I made a mistake. 
and choosing you to be the covenant son. I'm going to start with somebody else. You don't deserve it. You certainly didn't earn this. Everything I told you through, through, through the, the promise I made to your grandfather, through the promise I made to your father, Isaac, and what Isaac and Rebecca told you, everything, you've, you've, you've stubbed your nose at me. You, you've treated as frivolous that which is precious. I'm going to try somebody else. I'm forgetting you. Is that what God does? He continues with his plan that Jacob's the covenant son. And then there's only one word for that, grace. And that should remind each one of us of God's relationship with us. We don't deserve salvation. We don't deserve the fellowship and intimacy with him. But he chooses to shower us with it. The title of the message when I preached on this was God made Jacob into a trophy of his grace. And that's the only, that's the only way you can explain this. Because by every criterion a human sets up for, for a blessing like this, you would say Jacob lost the right to be the covenant son. But not from God's perspective. God delights, God delights in taking rebels and transforming them into trophies of his grace. Could you say he's also faithful to what he says? And faithful to what he promises, really. He made a promise to Abraham. It's a covenant called the Abrahamic covenant. And he willful, it's binding on him, not on anyone else. It's binding, it's unilateral, unconditional. And therefore, you just see it again. He keeps his word. And it, it's, just, it, it's just the amazing, well, not the, it's one of the amazing characteristics of our God that his grace flows out of his, his commitment to his promises. He will keep his word. And for you and me, you know, 4,000 years later, that's really important that God keeps his word. All right. Now, all that, I wanted to lay the groundwork, so I want you to note, uh, note all this, look for this as we go through this, but it's a pretty familiar narrative. Isaac, I'm in verse 1 of chapter uh, 27. Now, when Isaac was old, He's about a hundred, give or take, a year or two. His eyes were dim so that he could not see. And he called Esau, his older son, and said to him, My son, and he answered, Here I am. He said, Behold, I'm old. I do not know the day of my death. Now then, take your weapons, get your quiver and your bow, and go out into the field and hunt game for me. The, the Hebrew word for game there is really venison, so it's a deer. And prepare for me delicious food, such as I love, and bring it to me so that I may eat, and my soul may bless you before I die. Now, that last part is a purpose clause, that my soul, what's the language of that? What, why, and yesterday he translates it that way, and that's, I think, the right way to translate it. The idea here is that Isaac wants to bless Esau with all his heart. This is a genuine, heartfelt desire to bless his son before he dies. This is the paternal blessing. 
as a father blessing his firstborn. Should Isaac have desired to do that? Well, his heart may desire to do it, but in obedience to God, should he do it? No. He does not have the right to do this. As a matter of fact, you could be very, very strong here. He is in defiance of God in desiring to do this. And then to, to bless you before I die, this is the blessing. This is the paternal blessing of the, of, of the firstborn. And so, I mean, it's just, again, there are no, nobody comes out good in chapter 27. But here you see the flaw of Isaac. He has no right to do this. And in fact, he should not be doing it. Now, verse 5 is really an important verse. Now, Rebekah was listening when Isaac spoke to his son Esau. What's another way of saying that? She was eavesdropping. Now, let's just think of something here, because the next part of the story is she concocts this scheme to trick Esau. Excuse me, to trick Isaac. Here's my question. What should she have done? Confronted Isaac. Okay, she heard what he just told Esau. What she should have done is gone right into his bedroom, or wherever his tent was. But anyway, she should have gone into his bedroom and said, Isaac, my husband, do you know what God said? You know what God decreed? God decreed this even when these two boys were in my belly. Jacob is going to be the one who receives the covenant of blessing. Even though he wasn't firstborn. Isaac, you can't do this. But she didn't do that. Isaac loved Esau. Rebecca loved Jacob. The dysfunction of this family now comes to the surface. She is so panicked that her son, her favorite son, is not going to get the blessing. Maybe she knew Isaac wouldn't listen to her. Maybe that dysfunction extended to their relate. We don't know, but she should have confronted Isaac. She didn't. Instead, she concocts this plan. So we read, when Esau went to the field to hunt for game and bring it, Rebekah said to her son Jacob, I heard your father speak to your brother Esau. Bring me game, prepare for me delicious food, that I may eat it and bless you before the Lord before I die. Now, therefore, my son, now this is Rebekah giving a command to Jacob. Now, therefore, my son, obey the voice as I command you. Go to your flock, bring me two young goats, so that I may prepare for them delicious food for your father, such as he loves. And you shall bring to your father, it to your father to eat, so that he may bless you before he dies. Now, notice the hesitancy of Jacob here. Notice he thinks this is nuts at first. But Jacob said, Behold, my brother Esau is a hairy man, and I'm a smooth man. Perhaps my father will feel me, and it shall be seem to him mocking him and bringing a curse upon myself and not a blessing. And then she says in verse 13, 
Let your curse be on me, my son. Obey my voice. Go and bring them to me. What should Jacob have done here? Not what he did. But he should have said, Mom. Now, this is maybe almost too unbelievable for us, but he should have said, Mom, God promised me that I would be the covenant son. I'm not going to take this into my own hands. I'm going to wait in faith on God. Now, that may be too extraordinary to imagine. But in each one of these scenarios, we should be asking, what should they have done to be pleasing to the Lord? In each case, it's the opposite. So Jacob hears it, but he's fearful, to be blunt, he's fearful of being caught. But his mom, I one time heard a, a pastor say, Jacob is a typical mama's boy. You do with that what you want. I don't know if that's accurate. It seems a little unkind. I don't know. But the whole point is, instead of doing what he should have done, stood up to his mother, trusting God's promise, he didn't do that. Verse 14, so what did he do? So he went, took them, and brought them to his mother, meaning the goat. His mother made delicious food, such as his father loved. And Rebecca took the best garments of Esau, her older son, which were, in, which, which were uh, with her in the house, and she put them on Jacob, her youngest son. Jacob is now a substitute Esau. But please note, the prime mover in all this is Rebecca. This is a conniving scheme to misrepresent the facts and lie to Isaac. And the skins of the young goat she put on his hands and the smooth part of his neck. And she put the delicious food and the bread which she had prepared into the hand of her son Jacob. Verse 18. So she went in to his father. So he went into his father and said, My father. And he, that he is Isaac, said, Here I am. Who are you, my son? Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. True? It's a lie. A bold-faced, blatant, intentional, willful, defiant lie. Lie number one. It's going to be another one. I have done as you told me. Now sit and eat my game, that your soul may bless me. He's quoting what Jacob, excuse me, what Isaac had said earlier. So Isaac said to his son, how is it that you found it so quickly, my son. Now remember, son, Isaac is a hunter. Esau's a hunter. Isaac knows how long it takes to track down, shoot a game, dress the game, cook it, all this stuff. He's saying, man, you did that record time, son. How'd you do that? Lie number two is blasphemy. Because the Lord... Your God granted me success. Is that true? No. But please note the language that Jacob used. Because Yahweh, your, pointing to his dad, 
your Elohim granted me success. I have found favor with the Lord. And although it usually takes a long time to hunt down a deer and dress that deer and cook it all, God, your God, the personal God, your, your covenant God, Yahweh, he looked with favor on me, gave me success. Then there's only one word for that. It's blasphemy. That is not true. And what you see here is the depths of this deception. This is really serious. What Jacob has done, this, this isn't some superficial or, or shallow act on his part. <clears throat> this is the depths of a deceptive, conniving spirit. Isaac, Rebecca, Jacob. And Isaac said to Jacob, please come near that I may feel you, my son, to know whether you are really my son, Esau, or not. Now, the only thing we can infer from this is Isaac had some suspicions here. You know, I hear what you're saying, the Lord bless and all this stuff, but I'm still, I'm not sure you're really Esau. So come here, son. Remember, he's virtually blind, so he can't really see. Verse 22, so Jacob went near to Isaac, his father, felt him, and the voice is Jacob's, but the hands are Esau. That's pretty revealing. Isaac, just, nothing seems right, but boy, that's Isaac. Or that's, that's Esau. It smells like Esau. He feels like, when, when she put it around his neck, I don't quite know what that would have looked like. I can see around his hand, but anyway, whatever it was, it was adequate enough to deceive Isaac. Verse 23, and he did not recognize that he is Isaac, and him is Jacob, did not recognize him because his hands were hairy like his brother Esau's hand. So he blessed. Are you really my son, Esau? He answered, I am. And he said, bring it near to me that I eat of my son's game and bless you. So he brought it near to him and he ate. He brought him wine and he drank. Then his father Isaac said to him, Come near and kiss me, my son. It's the arrangement of a covenant blessing of the firstborn. So he came near and kissed him, and Isaac smelled the smell of his garments, which, again, was part of the deception and blessed him. Now, what I want you to notice, in probably most of your Bibles, this is indented. It's, it's kind of a to highlight it, 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 it's really almost poetry in, in the form of a blessing, which is a fairly typical uh, arrangement of these things. See, the smell of my son is as the smell of a field that the Lord has blessed. So he is keying in on what Jacob had said in response, the Lord your God granted me success. And so Isaac is saying, the smell and feel, yes, the Lord's blessed, like fields that God blesses. May the God give you the dew of the heaven, the fatness of the earth, and plenty of grain and wine. For the first blessing is the blessing of promised fertility. 
Remember, this is an agricultural society, agriculture slash shepherding society. So an agricultural blessing, a material blessing of fertility is sought after by the firstborn son. And Isaac blesses the blessing of fertility. Second, verse 29, that people serve you and nations bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers, and may your mother's sons bow down to you. That is part of the covenant blessing. That's part of what God had said to Rebekah, even when the boys were still in her womb, and then what God had said to Isaac about his son. So this is the blessing of exactly what God had prophesied and declared and promised. You will be Lord over your brothers. You are the firstborn, but you're saying, wait a minute. All of that promise was for Jacob. So here again, you see the defiance of Isaac in doing what God intended him to do. Isaac has no right to do this if that's really Esau. Now, it isn't Esau, Jacob, but he doesn't know that. Do you understand what I'm saying? Isaac is doing something here that shows his character, almost as if, God, I don't care what you said about Jacob. I'm blessing Esau. <clears throat> now, listen, no matter what would have happened, Isaac would not have been able to do this. And he put it another way, God would have thwarted this. And you say, well, wait a minute. Jacob's still getting a blessing. Maybe God understands this is the way it's going to happen. That's not the way we should think. Everybody's coming out of this looking pretty bad. But there's one more blessing. Cursed be everyone who curses you. Blessed be everyone who blesses you. That's Genesis 12, 3. What Isaac is doing here is actually remarkable. He's taking the promise of God, which is central, to the Abrahamic covenant, and applying it, he thinks, to a son that doesn't deserve it, but he still does it. But this is the Abrahamic covenant. This is the rewording, well, it's, not, it's almost a direct quotation of that part of the Abrahamic covenant that's in Genesis 12, verse 3. And so Isaac has now blessed his son. He thinks he's blessing Esau. He has just blessed Jacob. He's given Jacob the blessing of the firstborn. Fertility, servanthood, blessing. All that bless you, I will bless. That curse you, I will curse. Let's go down to Buddy Trump for just a second. Is that still relevant in 2022? Fred gave us no room. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, the discussion's over. That's the right answer. Okay. But, I mean, that's, that's something that's important for us to remember that. And listen, you know, one time I, I did this, this is an exercise. I went back, and I, it wasn't comprehensive. Like, I didn't go through all 5,200 years of recorded history. But I looked throughout the history that I could identify real quickly. It was a cursory uh, view of it. But the nations that blessed the Jewish people, that were a source of blessing for the Jewish people, were they blessed? Yes. It's really amazing they were. And then you look 
at the nations that cursed the Jewish people. Were they cursed? Yeah, they really were. This is still applicable today. It's really, really an important issue in how God looks at them. They are his, the Jewish people, they are his covenant people. And God's covenant with them is unconditional, unilateral, and binding on him. He will fulfill those promises. And when he makes a statement like this, it is very important for leaders to take note of this. And you look, one of my favorite examples is Spain in 1492. Spain at that point was the most powerful nation on earth, the richest nation on earth. They were, they will soon get all the gold and the silver from the Aztecs and Inca empires and all that that the conquistadors destroyed. But they begin a pogrom against the Jewish people through the Inquisition. And they force the Jewish people to either convert to Catholicism or leave. Many of them convert, the vast majority of them leave. They are, it's the original order called the Sephardic Jews. And they spread all over the Mediterranean, go up into Northern Europe and other places uh, in Northern Africa. Anyway, what happens to Spain? It begins to decline. It's an amazing story. It begins a decline. And as it declines, another nation is beginning to rise. It's England. It kind of reaches its culmination with these Spanish and modern world. I'm telling you, that's just an interesting story to observe in history. And we all know what happened to Germany and, and so on. This is a relevant part of the Abrahamic covenant. And it's one that people need to take seriously. It is my conviction that one of the reasons God has blessed the United States of America is because we have had open borders to the Jewish people. The largest concentration of Jews in the world up until 2008 was in the United States. Now the largest concentration of Jews in the world is in Israel, the nation, the nation state of Israel. I'm just, that's just something to think about. Uh, it's an important principle, I think, that you can check through history, it's still relevant. Is, is this blessing elsewhere, or is it just these two places in Genesis? Or is, is this repeat elsewhere? It is in the Psalms, and one or two times, as I recall. <clears throat> it is, it's going to be again in Genesis. One other question. I think most evangelical Christians believe that, that the Jews are blessed. Do other Christian religions believe that? In general? You're asking it in general, so I'll answer it in general, no. That's what I thought. No, they don't. The official position of the Roman Catholic Church, it's part of their theology, what we call sometimes call replacement theology, that the church has replaced Israel. God's done with the Jews. Uh, most of the mainline, uh, well, well, I'll keep it general. You ask it generally, so I answer it in general. Isn't it important, too, that Taking this down to a microlisk point uh, in the family, that the husband not being a dictator, but certainly uh, being a spiritual leader, uh, committed to the Lord, and uh, having that union with his wife, it provides a platform of security and guidance for the children. 
like yes. you and Peggy and other people that you know you know that solid board and uh, that work together well, I, you're stepping outside the American Covenant now, and you're just talking about their relationship. But yes, this is a very, as a lot of the narratives of Genesis are, this is a very good illustration of what a dysfunctional family produces. Dysfunctional children who are really serious issues of disobedience and defiance of God. And then God has to intervene, as he did in Jacob's life. Uh, and he will absolutely break Jacob because of what, but he is doing, um, Jacob is doing what he should not do, but his parents did not correct that. Rebecca should have corrected what he was doing, but she leads in deception. She leads in conniving. And the results of that are just, she will pay, as I said earlier, she will pay a dear price for that. She will never see her son again. She will die and never see her son again. Which had to hurt her. Had had to be a very serious issue. So, yeah, I mean, yeah, I've often used uh, uh, Jacob, particularly in his family, when I when I used to do marriage conferences. But um, we use that time as an illustration of, by negative example, we can learn a lot from this. What do we learn? And you can you can learn a lot. That's a different approach to this. You're not looking at it through the grid of the Abrahamic covenant. You're looking at it through another, but you can do that with the, with the patriarch. <clears throat> the uh, well, anyway, yes, okay. Everybody online, okay. What one interesting uh, yeah. analogy? Yeah, pretty good. Jacob or um, Jacob lied three times to to God, and Peter lied three times. <laughs> Yeah. A lot of lying to God going on in the Bible, isn't there? Okay. Verse 30. Let's 25 after we got to keep going. As soon as Isaac had finished blessing Jacob, when Jacob had scarcely gone out from the presence of Isaac, his father, Esau, his brother, came in from his hunting. And he prepared delicious food and brought it to his father. And he said to his father, And my father rise and eat of my son's of his son's game, that you may bless me. His father Isaac said, Who are you? And he answered, I'm your son. Esau, your firstborn. Verse 33. Translating this from the Hebrew is really difficult. ESV has translated this way. Then Isaac trembled very violently. So you can, you can understand what the language here is trying to communicate. It's trying to get you to visualize in your mind using words what was going on with Isaac? He's shaking. It's a combination of anger. It's a combination. I have been lied to. I mean, all of these things. He's trembling very violently. And so the only way to think about it is this guy is shaking in his anger. Who was it then that hunted game and brought it to me and I ate before I all came and I blessed him? Yes, and he shall be blessed. So you have. Perhaps I, I tried to, without yelling, to mimic a little bit of what the tone of his voice might have been like. And I'm pretty sure that he was pretty loud in what he said. I mean, this is desperation. This is disappointment. He's confounded. He's perplexed. What? 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 What's happened here? It didn't occur to me before. 
Yes, that's right. <laughs> now he's shocked. So, I mean, it's... He should never have done what he did in the first place. But he's been out-tricked by his wife, really, and by his son, Jacob. But he, as he said at the end of that verse, and he shall be blessed. What, is, what does Isaac mean by that? I can't take this back. I can't undo this. And as soon as Esau heard the words of his father, he cried out with an exceedingly great and bitter cry. He said to his father, bless me, even me also, O my father. But he said, your brother came deceitfully, and he's taken away your blessing. That's the dark side of what Isaac had done. He's absolutely right. Your brother's deceitful, and he's taken away your blessing. But you know, when Isaac puts it that way, that was not his blessing. He says, your blessing. It wasn't Isaac, Esau's blessing. He is not to be blessed. Esau is not his rightfully, he rightfully named Jacob, the trickster, the heel catcher, the cheater, the deceiver. See, what Esau's doing is he's connecting what Jacob just did with his name, Yahoo. You named him correctly. He is the cheater. He is the deceiver. Esau said in verse 36, is not he rightly named Jacob who's cheated me these two times? It was the first time. First of all, the soup. Now listen here. Now let's just step back for a minute. Let's not make Esau into a righteous victim. Because when he gave the blessing of the firstborn to, back, to Jacob for a bowl of soup, that was hardly a righteous act. So let's not make, you know, I'd stand up and say, Esau, you have no right to play <clears throat> victim here. You are not a victim. You have been out canai, but that for two times, come on. I mean, it's that the profane nature of you, but he's angry, understandably. He took away my birthright, and behold, he's taken away my blessing. And he said, have you not reserved a blessing? This is Esau speaking. Have you not reserved a blessing for me? Isaac answered and said to Esau, behold, I have made him him is Jacob, Lord over you, and all his brothers I've given to him for servants, and with grain and wine I've sustained him. What then can I do for you, my son? <laughs> it's almost like he's saying, I'm sorry, so I don't have anything left over. I mean, he's going to rule the family. He's going to be the new patriarch. He's going to, all you are going to serve him the blessing, fertility blessing, I, I, Esau, I don't have anything left. Esau said to his father, verse 38, have you but one blessing, my father? You don't have one left over? You can't go into your quiver and pull one out? Bless me, even me also, oh my father. 
You know, I can't envision, imagine even that, you know, there are tears in his eyes, he's pleading again, but please don't make Esau into a victim here. But all of this is part of this incredible dynamic of this family. And Esau lifted up his voice and wept. Then Isaac, his father, answered and said, Behold, away from the fatness of the earth shall your dwelling be, away from the dew of heaven on high. I don't know if you're following that. That doesn't sound too much like a blessing to me. It's the exact opposite of what God had said to, to Jacob earlier. By your sword you shall live, and you shall serve your brother. But when you grow restless, you shall break his yoke from your neck. What does that mean? We only understand what that means because we know what happens to Esau. Esau, and this will occur in chapter 34, so it's, it's, a, it's a bit ahead here, but what's going to happen is he will, after Jacob comes back from Patamaram up north with Rachel and all the things we'll read about later, after he comes back, he will then break with, with, with Jacob. He will be reconciled to Jacob, but he will break from him, head south, and form the nation of Edom. Esau is the father of the Edomites. And if you, I, well, I guess you could look at it on the map, one of the maps, but Edom is south of the Dead Sea. And uh, Edom, as you know, means red. And it's first, I've been there many times in my life, but when you're at the Dead Sea and you look south, you see the mountains. These are the mountains of Edom, and they're red. And that's really, it fits with everything about Esau, which means red, and Edom, which means red, and all that. He will form the kingdom of Edom. Question. Will the Edomites be friends with the Israelites? No, not at all. So it, this, is, this is giving us a little bit of an indication of the future of Esau and his descendants, Edomites. And you look at that, but I don't know how you followed, or as I read it, if you followed it. When I look at verse 39 and verse 40, I don't see things real positive there. I don't see that as, a, as an enriching blessing. It's more of a prophetic statement. What does he say? Verse 39, in effect, you're going to be a nomad. You're not going to be a settled farmer or shepherd. You're going to be a nomad. Away from the fatness of the earth shall be your dwelling, be away from the dew of the heaven on high. That's exactly the opposite of what God promised to, uh, what J uh, Esau promised to Jacob. By your sword you shall live, and you shall serve your brother. You're going to be a fighter, but you're going to serve your brother Jacob. But you will break from him. And as we know, we know what happens because we know what the scriptures say, he will form the nation of the Edomites. So this is a, this is a, I mean, if I were I, Esau and heard this, I'd say, well, dad, that's not much of a blessing. But anyway, so that's the, that's the tragedy of Isaac really doesn't have anything to say to Esau. There's no real tangible blessing he has for him, other than a prophecy of what he's going to be like. 
<clears throat> did Ab when did Abraham know that one of his sons, his simple son, that Henderson was going to be pursued? Uh, well, Isaac was born when uh, Jacob, uh, when Abraham was about 100 years old. He knew that 25 years earlier. When God made the promise, you, you know, you will have a covenant son, and that son will be the, the channel through which I'm going to mediate all the blessings Abraham covenants he blessed. So 25 years before Isaac was born, Abraham knew that. Is that your question? Am I interested? Well, did he not know that the second son out of the first round would be the leader? Would, it, so you're, now you're with Isaac. Did not Isaac know? Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, not, as, as we, we read a couple of days, a couple of weeks ago, when, or I guess that was last week, when Rebecca was pregnant, her two sons are kicking and fighting almost. And when she goes to God and says, what does this mean? And God says, these two sons are going to be at odds with one another, but the younger will be the first one. The second one out of your words, out of the birth canal, the second one out, he's going to be the chosen covenant son. And so Isaac knew that as, as God communicated that with Rebekah, Isaac knew it too. So Isaac knew this is 40 years or so. I mean, it's extraordinary. And that's why as I said at the beginning, and I repeated a couple of times, there, there, there are no good characters in chapter 27. And Isaac, in, in one sense, only from the perspective of the Amorite covenant, Isaac's the most tragic one, because he was the leader of his home. He should have recognized, I don't like this, Esau's, I go hunting with him. I love to hunt with him. He's my boy. He's my Marlboro man. <laughs> I was None of you know what that means. So, I <laughs> but you know, he. But but God said Jacob is going to be the covenant. That's not what he does. He's, when he wants to set this up, go out hunt the deer, bring back his meals that I love, and I will bless you with my soul. I'll bring you the blessing of the firstborn. That's defying God. <clears throat> he too will pay a price for that. The tragedy of this situation. None of these four people at this point in their lives exhibits faith. None of these four people exhibits trust in the Lord's promise. Now, we'll see what happens in the chapters that follow. Do you think there was a reason for them to trust? Adequate? I mean... What, what did Isaac learn from his dad? Genesis 22, he participated with that test. We talked when Isaac is, or when Abraham is ready to sacrifice Isaac, Isaac's young, whipping teenage kid. He could have easily fought his dad. So, no, Fred, he should have known. He had adequate evidence. He saw it in his dad. And he knew the promises of God. Without faith, it is impossible to please the Lord. Well, we're almost done here, but let me see if I can finish this chapter, if I could. Is there everybody online with me here? Yes, sir. Yeah, we are. Please, go ahead. Yep. Oh, I thought, Fidel, you were going to ask me a question. You all right?
Oh, yeah. No, I, I said I'm, I'm here. <laughs> oh, good. Well, I'm glad you're here. Verse 41. Now Esau hated Jacob because of the blessing with which his father had blessed him. And Esau said to himself, the days of mourning for my father are approaching. Then I will kill my brother Jacob. Is there any lack of clarity on that? Are you, are you unclear on what he just said? But the words of Esau, her older brother, were told to Rebekah. But she sent and called Jacob, her younger son, and said, Behold, my brother Esau, your brother Esau comforts himself about you by planning to kill you. Therefore, my son, oh, by my voice, arise free to Laban, my brother in Haran. Now, you might remember, you got to go back to a couple of chapters ago. When we were, interested, when we were introduced to Rebecca by that genealogy, it was real short. And Laban was mentioned. So it's just reminding us. So go to my family, which is the descendants of Abraham. This is Abraham's family. Go back to the bloodline and stay with him for a while until your brother's fury turns away, until your brother's anger turns away from you, and you've forgotten what you've done to him. Then I will send and bring you from there. Why should I be bereft of you both in one day? I said this, I think, three times. I'll repeat it one more time. He will never see Jacob again. Because what the conditions she set. So Esau forgets. Esau's anger, he doesn't forget. She never sees him again. Then verse 46. Then Rebekah said to Isaac, I loathe my li life because of the Hittite woman. Of whom is she talking there? The wife of Esau. If Jacob marries one of the Hittite women like these, one of them in the land, what good will my life be to me? So she wants Jacob to flee to preserve his life, but she also wants Jacob to flee to get a wife. Up the bloodlines up there, not among the Canaanites. Abraham's family's up there. That's the family I'm from. Laban's my brother. Go up there. That's a 500 mile, 550 mile trip, basically, from the area of Beersheba. So this is a formidable challenge for Jacob. Two reasons. Reason number one, to flee the wrath of Esau, because he's going to kill him. Reason number two, to find a wife. That's not a Canaanite. So, chapter 28, chapter 28 is the account of Jacob's uh, flight up to Padamaram to Haran. We'll get there. But what, what I, I want to set this up, because I've got a couple minutes yet for the hour, but I'll set this up for next week. Chapter 28 is a very, very important chapter in the life of Jacob. Because up to this point, do we have any evidence of Jacob praying to God? Do we have any evidence of a relationship between Jacob and God? Do we have any evidence of Jacob trusting God? Do we have any evidence that Jacob really, really understands what it means to be the covenant son? I loaded all those questions, because obviously the answer to all those questions is 
No. So chapter 28 is where God is going to begin to smash into Jacob's life. God is going to begin to insist that Jacob pay attention to his destiny. God is going to begin to inch his way into Jacob's life. You are the one I chose. And what God is going to do is he is going to review the Abrahamic covenant with Jacob. And he's going to personally, that he is God, personally introduce himself to Jacob in a dream. And Jacob's life is all of a sudden going to change. Jacob is on a journey. He doesn't even know the journey. But Jacob is on a journey. And he's been resisting it all along. A journey to be the covenant son. Understanding all that that means. All right. Let's look just at the first couple of verses of 28. Then I'm going to have to quit. Then Isaac called Jacob and blessed him and directed him. You must take a wife. You must not take a wife from the Canaanite women. Arise, go to Padan Aram, to the house of Bethuel, my mother's father. Take as your wife from there one of the daughters of Laban, your mother's brother. God Almighty, bless you. Now, God Almighty there in, in Hebrew is El Shaddai. You, you've heard that. There's a worship course. Anyway, that's very, very important title of God. God Almighty, bless you and make you fruitful and multiply you that you may become a companies of people. Isaac has just reiterated part of the Abrahamic covenant. He's just reviewed that. May he give the blessing of Abraham to you and to your offspring with you, that you may take possession of the land of your sojournings that God gave to Abraham. He's just repeated the second part of the Abrahamic covenant. Thus Isaac sent Jacob away. And he went to Patamaran to Laban, son of Bethuel, the Aramean, the brother of Rebekah, Jacob, and Esau's mother. Now Esau saw that Isaac had blessed Jacob and sent him away to Patamaran to take a wife from there. That is, he blessed him, he directed him, you must not take a wife from the Canaanite women. And Jacob had obeyed his father and his mother and gone to Patamaran. So when Esau saw that the Canaanite women did not please Isaac, his father, Esau went to Ishmael and took as his wife, besides the wives he had, Mahalate, the daughter of Ishmael, Abraham's son, the sister of Nabaioth. Isn't that interesting? You're supposed to say yes. Isn't that interesting? Yes. <clears throat> He's experiencing the disappointment of his parents because he married a Canaanite. So what does he do? He goes to Ishmael and becomes a Muslim. No, I mean, that's, that's <laughs> centuries away. I, I shouldn't have said that. That's absolutely, absolutely wrong. I shouldn't have said that. But he goes to Ishmael. Remember, Ishmael is the son of Abraham to who? Hannah, remember? So it's a, it's a fascinating turn of events. What is Esau trying to do? Please his parents. I'm not going up to Patamaran 
but I'll go across the valley. I'll go on the east side of the Jordan River, and I'll find where the clan of Ishmael has settled. I'm going to take one of his daughters. So he, by the, you know, he doesn't get rid of his other wives, but now he acts. <laughs> Maybe this will please mom or dad. You know what we don't know? Whether this please mom or dad. The Bible doesn't tell us that. But that's interesting. Because now you have, this is really important, now you have a descendant of Abraham through Isaac marrying a descendant of Ishmael. We do not know what is the result of that. We really don't. But that's just, it's a very fascinating turn of events Presumably, the way that the context reads, to please his parents. We do not know if it pleases his parents. We do not know what really results from this. That's kind of interesting. It's one of the 9,762 questions I want to talk to the Lord about when I get back. That's true. All right, I'm going to have to quit. I hope you're all with me. I'm going to quit here and pray. And you have a really, really quick question. So is Esau maybe in the Muslim side? Do they look at him then as Ishmael? Is anything there? Um, not really. Not, not really. It, it, well, let me put it. I shouldn't have said not really. I'm, I was trying to. They are very, Islam and the Quran mentions Islam is very, very committed to Abraham being their father. Abraham to Islam is just as important as Abraham is to the Jew. He is their father. And, but Ishmael is the channel through which their blessing, et cetera, and the 12 tribes of, of Ishmael and all that parallels 12 tribes of Isaac and Abraham and Jacob. Now, the connection with Esau, as far as I know, Ed, I don't remember when I was doing my book on this on the uh, reviews. I don't remember reading anything about Esau in the Quran. There may be something there, but I don't think so. I don't think they make much of a connection to this. It's more Abraham, Ishmael, and then the twelve tribes of Ishmael that are so important to them. I'm going to go back and check that though. Uh, you raised the. Which tribe would Esau? Well, see, he. Well, that's, I mean, the Edomites. But that's what, that's what I mean. I don't, I just don't know of any connect, but I am going to check on that. Because that is really, nobody's ever asked me that question. And that's really a good question. We're going to check on that. All right, I'm going to pray, because I, I do really need to go on here. Father, thank you for the word of God. Thank you for, there's so much we can learn from chapter 27. We certainly see the tragedy of defying your clear directions. Esau, Jacob, Rebecca, Isaac. There are no good reports in chapter 27. It's a tragedy, Lord. We also see, we can look at it from another vantage point, we see the consequences of Isaac not being a very good leader of his family. Instead of trusting you and believing that your purposes are being worked out through Jacob, he defies you and wants to bless Esau. The consequences of this are so tragic. Lord, that's one of the things we learn. If you choose not to obey what the Lord has so clearly stated, there will be consequences. There are always tragedies when we defy you. 
So, Lord, we all learn from that, and in all of our cases, let us be the men of God you're calling us to be, men who walk in faith with you, men who trust you, even when we don't understand everything that's going on. Trusting you is always the best thing for us to choose to do. We want to be faithful men of God who represent you well. Enable us to do that, we pray in your son's name. Amen. See you next week.